Hey everyone, before we jump into the B-side of the Last Dance after show, we're trying to raise some money for the good people over at Feeding America. If you don't know about them, Feeding America is the nation's largest hunger relief organization. Through a network of about 200 food banks and 60,000 food pantries and meal programs, they provide to more than 40 million people each year. As the coronavirus has spread across the country, we've seen an increase in school closures, job disruptions, and a lack of paid sick leave. All of this contributing to the unprecedented demand placed on food banks across America. So in response, Feeding America has launched a COVID-19 response fund, a national food and fundraising effort to support people facing hunger and the banks who help them. I know these are trying times for all of us, but if you can spare it, we'd really appreciate you making a donation to feedingamerica.org. If you can't make a financial contribution, check out their website to see how you can volunteer and participate in what they're doing. These are really good people trying to help out a bunch of folks across this country who need help. So once again, their website is www.feedingamerica.org. I speak on the show's behalf here. Uh, We really appreciate any contribution you can make to this wonderful organization. Now, here is the Last Dance After Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Last Dance After Show. I'm Sam Fragoso, and uh, joining me each week is the one and only David Villar. David, how are we doing? We're doing very well. In case you did not listen to our first episode, uh, we released the A side of this podcast on Monday with former Boston Globe sports writer Bob Ryan. Uh, We're going to do two of these a week through uh, the remainder of the documentary series, The Last Dance. Uh, On Mondays, we're going to have kind of a more traditional recap show where we talk with reporters and athletes and documentarians about the film itself. Uh, on Thursdays, we're going to do these B-sides with, uh, you know, funny folks and, and actors and, and comedians. And I think my father and, and some family members of David's, I be- is that true? Are we having family members of yours on? Unlikely, but, you know, we'll see. We could get them on, right? Well, we, we, mark. Would, would they do it? Oh, they definitely do it. Uh, it's just a question of what they would contribute. But, you know, everybody has a role and they have theirs. And, uh, you know, we'll see what we, where we can fit them in. I mean, you know, I don't want to sell your family short. Um, it sounds like you're doing exactly that. No, but... no, no. It was my idea to even bring them on in the first place. Hmm. Well, somehow I'm the victim here. On Thursdays, we are going to be doing our B-sides. This week, we have two uh, hilarious actors, performers, Carl Tart of the podcast, The Flagrant Ones, which is a basketball and comedy podcast on Patreon, hosted by Carl, Sean Clements, and Hayes Davenport of The Hollywood Handbook. Pretty good show. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then we also have the hilarious Daniel Van Kirk, of uh, who is the host of the podcast, The Good Night Show, as well as Pen Pals and Dumb People Town which uh, all three are great, and we highly recommend you subscribe to all of them. And let me just say, these guys are not only funny, but they know their basketball. 
and their sports in general. So it's not only funny, but it's informative as well. This was uh, an unexpected conversation. I think they know more than we do. Is that yeah. crazy? <laughs> Is that crazy? Sad, but true. Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, if you like this show, be sure to uh, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for new listeners to find the program. Uh, coming up, we have Casey Johnson, Sam Smith, Adam McKay, Steve James, Jason Hare, Brian Moses, Heidi Gardner, uh, and many, many wonderful people. But today, why don't we call up Daniel Van Kirk and Carl Tart? This is the Last Dance After Show. We're doing our first B-side uh, joining us are two really funny people uh, that I like a lot, Daniel Van Kirk and Carl Tart. How uh, is the quarantine going for you two? Uh, Carl, you go. How are you doing? Uh, I'm 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 chilling. Uh, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty social dude. I, I like to be out in these streets, uh, so that's been pretty tough not being able to do that. I'm taking full advantage of every single way to continue to be out in these streets, uh, taking walks. Masking up, gloving up, going to the grocery store. Uh, not frivolous trip. Don't don't be shaming me. I'm going when I need stuff, but I am going and I'm I am turning up. You know, I am, you know, nodding at a lot of people and things, uh, making jokes about the toilet paper being back. That's killing in the toilet paper aisle. Nice. You know? <laughs> finally got some back. Nice. Yeah. Tough crowd. I just stand there and go. Finally got it back, huh? <laughs> And every time somebody walks by, you know, <laughs> you, they usually get a, <laughs> I know, right? So, so you're, you know. So you're going to the aisle and just sort of standing there and holding court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making connections. Yeah, you know, kind of standing at the edge of the aisle. Yeah. And then as soon as somebody walks in, I, you know, kind of scurry up and like, oh, I finally got some toilet paper back, huh? And they'd be like, <laughs> I know, right? And you know. Now at this point, do you, do you have like a tight five, or is it just you do a lot of crowd just, work, or mostly work? crowd work at this point? Uh, you know, I'm an improviser, so I have to, I make it up on the spot, yeah, uh, and try to get them to play off me because I really can't do it by myself. Right, right, right. And and is it six feet apart? Or are you just kind of breaking those rules at this point? I'm gonna keep it real. It's probably a good four and a half feet apart, you know. But no sneezing, no yeah. coughing going on, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, good for you, Daniel. Any crowd work going on? Uh, done a few Zoom shows. I'm just, I, it was funny. I was planning to launch a nightly podcast, um, which is a clever way to plug it called the good night show. And I dropped that like, I think in the second or third week of quarantine. So that's, that's been keeping me pretty, pretty busy. And then, um, Rory Scoville and I have continued to do our show remotely as well as, uh, the Sklars and I do in dumb people town. So I managed to, uh, keep busy, but yeah, I try to get outside at least once a day, even if it's like the little patio here at, that, at mm. my apartment complex. Because if I get to the end of the day and I thought I think about how I have not been outside, I get a little like I have to go outside. I've gone for like a late night walk, which is still. I mean, if you're if you're a photographer right now, you're probably getting some great shots of L.A. <laughs> of places that have never been empty before. Have you guys seen the 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 skyline shot of like it's like over the weeks like it you know three oh, weeks no, ago or pre quarantine yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's you know the smog and what have you then two weeks after and it's like yeah, well you can see the mountains behind the mountains right which right. you can never <laughs> usually see Montana really let me ask y'all this in the past week or so have y'all noticed that traffic has kind of picked back up it yes. has I think yes. I think people are like I'm done 
I'm good, y'all. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. I'm it's back. It's a false sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know, what? I actually don't think they're driving anywhere. I think they're just going in loops because they want to be outside. <laughs> yeah. I don't because no one no, yeah, people don't way. have anywhere to go. But I have noticed there's traffic. All of a sudden it's three p.m. All I don't know, I don't know why I'm in the car, um, but <laughs> I I have noticed it. I will say, this uh, documentary, this ten part epic thing, that was that was yeah. that's something I've been waiting for for years to come out. Um, I can't afford therapy in this moment, so this is really great that I have this. How how has this show treated both of you. I mean, were both of you looking forward to this? Well, I mean, I grew up in Northern Illinois. So uh, being like an hour and a half from Chicago, you have six out of the eight formative years of my life were just spent watching the Bulls in June. We used to go out at halftime and play basketball during the finals games. And like the only reason I knew who like John Stark was because I just kept watching the Bulls beat them. And and uh, <laughs> Patrick Ewing, like you look at this documentary, he loses to him in the national champion. Then he's going to lose to Jordan the rest of his career, it, I mean, almost uh, his whole career, at least all of Jordan's. It's crazy. But uh, that's such a tech- good way of introducing a player. I just saw him by watching him lose over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a running theme with Michael Jordan's opponents. It is. But, yeah. but um, for me, I would say the biggest thing is like it felt really good to have something that everybody at least in my circle, was doing together at the same time. Again, it's how, that connectivity felt great. Like even knowing that like you guys and Carl was going to be watching it. Um, but the best thing is it made me feel like a kid again, but with the comprehension of an adult. Right. So so I got those same feelings of being a kid of watching Jordan and Scotty and everybody light it up. But then I was able to appreciate it on a, on a level of like, oh, this is all the work that went into it. This is how complicated that was. And so, yeah, it's, I've loved it. it. It felt therapeutic as well. Carl, how about you? I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I am a soldier in the army of LeBron. Uh, I have, I have <laughs> been, so I was, I was coming at it. I was coming into it from a place of like, if it goes down tonight, it, it goes down. Mm-hmm. Like I'm ready. I, I had to like, you know, I was prepared. I was prepared to fight. I was prepared to get into it online. I was prepared to. I I, I completely embraced my uh, my bronze sexual status because mm-hmm. they, right. they tried to use that as a as a word to like disparage people who like LeBron. But I'm gonna go ahead and I'm a part of the own three it. six mafia. Own it. Yeah, I'm yeah, owning yeah. it. Like it's that's brave. my guy because I grew up a Clipper fan. And so you know when you're a Clipper fan in 1998 through you know 2006 and then. Again, starting in 2011, mm-hmm. like be- between two, like when you're a Clipper fan throughout all this time, you have to find something to find happiness with <laughs> with basketball, because the Lakers are winning. Yeah, and you're, with LeBron. So how do you resolve uh, that? Oh, now we'll get to that point. See, so since 2003, first game against Sacramento, I was like, oh, this guy, because I remember him being in high school, and I remember it being so cool to watch him. I wore a headband like him. We had his shoes. When I was I was in eighth grade when he got drafted, and that's so crazy that he's been in the league that long. I'm 49 years old now. No, but um, <laughs> it, it it it's so wild. Like I, I was I was immediately like even when he was in high school I was like oh I like this guy yeah. like like no not not to make it about that but I was like man this dude's dark skin like we kind of kind of similarly look alike like it it was like the headband thing everything I was like oh I like this guy and he was only four years older than me or five years older yeah. than me. and I was like oh this is so dope this dude is dope and then like 
he all these all those years I followed him everywhere he went. I was a Clipper fan, but in LA when you're like a long long term Clipper fan before Lob City, you kind of hit it. You know, you you didn't talk about it. You didn't say you didn't. We didn't go around battling with Laker fans, being like, no, it's our town too. No, it was yeah. their it's their town. Like you're keeping quiet. Yeah, we keeping you keep we keep quiet. We don't we don't ruffle no feathers. We just like our team. And the Laker fans never really cared about us until we got good. You know, mm-hmm. right. so that that's when it became a rivalry because they felt like their turf threatened. was being yeah they felt threatened and they still they feel super threatened now. But uh, like the virus has helped them out the most because nobody gets to play, <laughs> right. and uh, very unfortunate. But that's going to be the pull quote from this episode. The virus actually helped the Lakers the most. Yeah, it did. I think LeBron started it. No, but uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I heard that. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I loved I love LeBron, and I am I, he is my goat, and I followed him. You know, Cleveland, Miami, back to Cleveland. And I followed him up until he came to the Lakers, which I had a real huge, you know, sure. crisis of conscience at that point because I was like, why, why could you do this to me? Like, imagine the legacy. Yeah. Imagine a legacy you would have carved out. You could still be in L.A. Your son can still go to Sierra Canyon. You can still do all the movies you want playing for the other team that could really use your name. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have been the first Clipper statue. We thought it was going to be Blake. That didn't work out. It could have been you, LeBron, and yeah. you chose to go to the Lakers. Now, what made me even more mad about that was how crappy. What's the what's the the, the profanity level of this podcast? Say whatever you want. Okay. Do it. Uh, snot, dick. No, uh, but uh, the, the the level the the level of hate that the Laker fans had for LeBron and still do. Don't let them fool you. There are there are people who follow LeBron to the Lakers, and there are Laker fans who still hate this man. Especially and, the Kobe stands. I mean, yeah. that, that's I mean that and, and I mean you know R.I.P. Especially now, yeah. but like even before that, like they would never accept LeBron. Never, it, it, and they still don't. And they and, still don't. And, yeah. It's unfortunate what happened this year. I've, I've, like that was a tragic day. Even I cried. Like just growing up here, never sure. liking him, never right. liking Kobe, but that was just growing up in L.A. You you you're affected by him. Sure, and. I I was like, when I I was like, this guy is never gonna be fully accepted, and you chose to come to this team, and you're still pandering to them. I remember the night that the the first night back where they did the whole tribute and everything. I went out after they lost to Portland that night, yeah. and I went out after, and I was talking to some Laker fans, and I was like, Yo, man, did y'all go to the game because they had jerseys on? And I was like, Did y'all go to the game? And they was like, Nah, man, but LeBron couldn't pull it out for us. He couldn't do it for Kobe. LeBron sucks. LeBron, and I'm just like. Ah, uh, you could have just <laughs> yeah. you could have just walked across the hall, LeBron. But that's a long-winded way as to say LeBron is my number one. So watching this, I was going in from a defensive mode, mm-hmm. and right. I you know I I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I don't uh, hide from the fact that I watched it, and I was still being like, as much as I want to say that this dude was playing against uh, the Cement Workers Union. Uh, rec league basketball team. Uh, he it's still hard to score sixty three points on one of the greatest them. defensive teams in the history of the NBA. Five Hall of Famers. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, listen, we could talk about that. Uh, listen, no, let's, let's, let's talk. It. Let's get into it. <laughs> no, it is hard. It is hard. Let's talk about it because uh, they were forty. They were forty one and one at home that year. You're right. It's hard. <laughs> I, I I get the sense, Carl, and correct me if I'm wrong that uh, 
the cement workers you're referring to are sort of like the Bill Lambeers of the world and yeah. the Kevin and the Kevin McHale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no respect for them at all. No respect for basketball before 1993. Really? Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I got to be honest. Shots that's just that's, just that's just my opinion. Look, we want honesty here. Okay, make the case. Go besides, ahead. Besides a few people, besides the Jordans, besides the right. besides the people who came in. What in about like, like 19- the Bad Boys? And you know they're coming. That's that's next week. This is the, that's this coming weekend is the Bad Boys. Right. Listen, my respect for them is even lower because when I watched that <laughs> when I watched that documentary on them and I saw that their defensive style was just hit people as opposed to yeah. stopping Play. people. Now they had yeah. some they had some great. They had some great players on that team. I, Bill Lambeer just doesn't do it for me. I don't. I don't. He would. He would not be in today's league. Other guys on that team would be. In, could be in today's right. league. Isaiah could be in today's league. Adrian Danley could be in today's league. Joe Dumars, like these guys, Mark Aguirre, they could be in today's league. But not every. Like the starters besides Bill Lambeer could be in today's league. I don't think anybody else could be on the, in today's league. But. With that being said, that's what the game was at that point. Yeah. Michael Jordan was a product of that era, and he still accomplished what he accomplished. Uh, I don't, I don't like the fouling. Like, I don't, I don't Jordan think that rules. that's yeah, that that shit. To me, is it's like that's not defense. That's hitting somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, play defense, lock up somebody. When they, when they, when they took out the hand check rule in basketball, people say that that's what made basketball bad. But I think that's what made you actually have to play defense to stop somebody. Yeah. Right. Like, you have to follow the rules to stop them. And if you can stop somebody, you can shut somebody down without a hand check. Right. Like, if you can shut somebody, who, who are dope defenders these days, you know? Like, Draymond from a couple years ago, he was shutting people down with no hand check. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I man. Can't believe, I can't believe you didn't name the best player on your team. I mean, he's... Kawhi. Yeah. Arguably the I, I, can't, I can't believe I didn't name him either. But Kawhi, look at Kawhi, man. Kawhi, I think Kawhi is one of the closest... As far as like fundamentally look like looks wise, kind of closest to Michael Jordan, and uh, oh, I see, see. I see Scottie Pippen. In my opinion, Scottie, and don't get me wrong. Obviously, Michael Jordan is was an incredible defender, but mm. Scottie was an even better defender. And in my opinion, still the greatest perimeter defender to ever play the game. Really? Let me ask you guys though. So coming off this episode, what's your feeling about Scottie Pippen after episode? Was it two? Well, see, this is the thing for me. I always thought that, and this goes into the, this dovetails perfectly into the conversation we're having because I also am a LeBron sexual for the most part. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, obviously I love Jordan's game and I respect him. And by a smidge, I'd probably still give him goat status at this point. Yeah. Uh, But that, when this argument inevitably comes up and we touched upon this in episode one, to some extent, the Jordan lovers, Team Jordan, will inevitably resort to this, well, you know, Michael barely played with anybody and look who LeBron played with and, you know, and they'll start naming all these people and it's like, do you understand how good Scottie Pippen was? And I mean, he played with essentially three, I mean, definitely three Hall of Famers and we can start getting into whether Tony Kukoc will make the Hall of Fame. You want to know something? As As a, like, Illinois kid, lived in Chicago 10 years, I don't even care. Like any this whole argument about like greatest of all time, I'm like, who cares? If you told me that like LeBron Prime, Michael Prime plays one on one and Michael loses, I'd go, okay. But this is the thing I always say to people: 
one time I was at this, do you remember Big Wangs or whatever, that like wing mm-hmm. joint? So one time I'm sitting over there, and these four guys are having a hardcore argument about who's better than Michael. And LeBron's better than Michael. No, Kobe's better than Michael. And they finally, they like rope me into it. And I go, let me just ask you guys a question. In all your argument about who's the best, who's this common name you keep saying? And they're like, Michael. I go, okay, you're done talking. Like, it's all 1A, 1B. It's just, they're fucking amazing players. LeBron's size is unreal. To have like the size of Magic and the moves of Michael is like, you, it's not a comparable. So, for, and that's why I loved in this documentary where Michael goes, you can't speak my name without saying Scottie Pippins. So he's even telling you everything you're giving me is because I had someone else with me. Like who gives a shit? Dan, I'm sorry. There are dumb people in the world who need to be shut down. <laughs> we got to tell those people, <laughs> listen, you can sit there and say, you don't care. All the, I, I really don't care either. Cause LeBron's going to be my goat regardless. And he should be because but you I love gotta him. Tell, right. I got to tell people though. I, and other people have different goats. Some people think Larry Bird is their goat. Some people I mean, think every like, while you'll run into a Dominique. Yeah. <laughs> you somebody, will. somebody who was in Atlanta Where? in 1986. Yeah. Uh, uh, clip, clip, clipper legend Dominic That's like a family member saying that. There's <laughs> yeah. just no way. Gerald. There's no way. I, look, I grew up in Chicago on, on the South Side, and the argument for Jordan versus LeBron, I don't care. I don't but either. also, but also, for me, it's Jordan, and I'm and I can't, uh, you know, detach my Chicago dumb from that. But if we go into like later in this series, uh, and even just looking at his career as an overview, the, the the fact that I keep coming back to over and over and over again, and it, they hit on it in the first two episodes, is that this dude never played a game seven in the finals. Do you know how hard that is to play against great teams in six different times? And some and people never... will tell you that they weren't great teams. Well, no, no, Carl said after 93, so he thinks most of them are pretty good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think most of them are pretty good. He thinks most of them are pretty good. I mean, the, the stuff about Pippen to answer, I, I love Scotty, and it's two sides. One, he signs this contract, this this terrible contract where he's 122nd best played player, best yeah. paid player in the league. Right. Shouldn't have signed it, of course. I think it's I think it's ridiculous that the general management and, and, and upper management never went back to him and said, Hey, we know you signed a bad deal, but also we've made a kajillion dollars. Why don't we try to like re up this and make it more fair? But that speaks to the but NBA at Scotty. that time. Now they're gonna get to this in episode seven. If anybody hasn't, uh I can recommend a uh podcast where the director is doing a weekly every Monday. He's doing a wrap up of what you just saw and leading into the next. But in episode seven, they're going to get into Scotty's 1.8 seconds in 1994. And even with that in mind, when you look at that playoff game where he refuses to go in because the play isn't drawn up for him and gets in a shouting match with Phil to to, that is a thing for me where I'm like, Scotty, you there are ways in which you are no better than Jerry Cross. But you know what? So I've seen that episode and and so we watched the first eight, oh, okay. uh, David and I, and well, we can just get into that Pippin, that Pippin moment where he doesn't go in. Uh, it's really painful to watch, and I kind of equate it to like sometimes you're dating this, you know, whoever you're dating, and you're in a relationship, and things are not going well, and there's a reason why it's not going well, and you start having an argument, and the argument's totally fair, and then all of a sudden you pull a punch that's like really a low blow 
And yes, your argument was good, but you go too far and you go too far in a way that like kind of undercuts your whole value system. Mm -hmm. And so Scotty just wanted to get paid, but the way he abandoned his team in that moment as the, as you'll see in the doc, I mean, it it permanently fractured that Bill relationship. Bill still upset about it. He, you know, but they're, they're, all those Bulls players that come up that are like Will Purdue and Bill Wellington, they're all like still vaguely upset about all the trauma they're still working out. You know out. what, though, to, to, and, and Carl, you were talking about the Lakers, and I, I, I think I share some of the same feelings. And then one of my greatest memories ever is after they won in 91, Jordan was on the season premiere of SNL. And he did the super fans, and George Wentz's character asked him uh, whose plan was it to let the Lakers win game one and then win the next four. And that was like, I'll never forget that joke the rest of my life. I love it so much. But when you look at, like, there's a quote that I believe Kevin Garnett gave, like, in the early 2000s or maybe mid-2000s, where he talked about why the Bulls couldn't sign free agents. And the reason was is because players never forgot the way they treated Scotty. And they yeah. also never forgot the way they didn't listen to Michael and they broke it up. And so players, even to this day, I think that attitude still carries through where they're going to say, because the, it's the same ownership. Jerry's gone, but it's the same ownership. And and Reinstorf wants to act like, you know, oh, I told him not to sign that deal, but he could have stepped in. He stepped in to keep Phil for one more year. And so you yeah. have players who look and say, why would I go there when that ownership, that's what they did to Michael. And Scotty, what are they going to fucking do to me? Whereas, by contrast, you look at the Lakers who paid Kobe way longer than they should have, let it derail their team for a couple of years. But when they go and look to try to land big free agent acquisitions, those players who all talk to each other go, you know what, though? If I come there, they're going to take care of me maybe a little bit longer than they should have. So that yeah. those three years of, of eating shit on those high-end Kobe contracts allowed them so much more equity within the players that the Bulls, in my opinion, still don't have back from 22 years ago because players no. are like, they fucked them. They fucked the great, one of the greatest teams of all time and arguably a handful of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. You heard Dwayne Wade say they had, him and LeBron had a chance to go play with D Derrick Rose. Yeah, of course and they, they were all going to go to, and, and but they which know. I would have jumped off of a building, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would have built a new building. I would have been so happy. I, I would have been so motivated. When I, when I heard that story, I was like, thank God we did not get more bulls. They courted the shit yeah, out of but, them, but they knew like you're like you were saying in the back of their mind, they knew like they don't give a fuck. No. And, and they were like, who's going to. It's, it's only one ball. Like, they was like, it's already going to be hard with us. Right. Like, right. adding Derrick Rose to that. But I, yeah, it's it's a bad organization. I think the Lakers have built up this legacy. I think that's one of the reasons why LeBron goes there, because mm -hmm. he was thinking about his future. He was thinking about his future, about the production stuff that he wanted to do. But he was also like, I probably have a good, a, a good, a three years of good play mm -hmm. left, plus another three years of subpar you know, Jordan Wizard style play. Yep. And I I want to be in the league when my son comes in the league. And so, like, who's going to pay me that money? Yep. And at the time, I'm assuming that people still weren't fully trusting Balmer yet. Oh, that's so, probably a good point. Like, I think I think now Kawhi and PG coming are going to change a lot of stuff. Yep. That – uh, with the organization, but I think at the time LeBron was probably like, nah, I don't fully trust this dude, right. especially because they just got rid of Blake. Yeah. So why yep. why not why not go to 
go to the Lakers. Yeah. Like, I mean, the counterpoint also, though, and you touched upon it, is that it's not the Lakers is not just just the actual nuts and bolts team on the court. I mean, there is all of this thing that goes around it with legacy and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Michael's got or LeBron's got his production company and all the all the things that come available to L.A. I also wonder and not to get conspiratorial, but obviously these guys talk, right? It's a big problem of in course. the NBA in terms of, um, uh, you know, tampering. And especially now with LeBron involved in, and I think this is a subject that doesn't get covered that much at all, clutch sports and how much they're starting to dictate player movement in the NBA. And if you told me that LeBron and Anthony Davis had a conversation five years ago and set out a plan, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I mean, I don't think that happened, but it wouldn't surprise me. And so it's it's what's happening underneath the league that we don't know about, I think, is something that we also have to consider when it comes to yeah. that. Yeah. How many, I'm going to ask you guys a question. How many, the average player in the league right now is probably, what, 24 years old, if, if you had to average it out. So how many players, because they were all watching this, and Carl, I loved following you on Twitter while it was playing too, where you were like, I just try to get those fucking fire reds and they're already gone. Don't you, some, yeah. aren't, aren't you people broke? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I loved that. You, you can't tweet enough for my opinion, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm following you throughout, throughout the last dance. So, um, but you know, all these players were watching it. I wonder how many players even knew who Jerry Krause was before Sunday night. Like they were three, two, three years old, maybe. Some yeah, weren't even born. Less than that. Weren't right. even born. Yeah. I wonder how many knew. Because in Chicago we knew. We'd like, oh, this guy's a fucking jag off. Yeah. I everyone in Chicago knew. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, re- I remember growing up, e- even uh, around seven or eight, parents just complaining about um Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause. I we actually wanted to bring up this part in the documentary where Cross, uh, Krause's stepdaughter gets married. Oh, my and God. And he invites everyone to the wedding except Phil Jackson. I, I didn't know that. And also, I can't imagine how that goes over today. Did he think, first of all, the media eats that up today. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, it is, it, it's a huge you have two weeks of Stephen A. Smith just like screaming about it. Oh yeah. You re- you remember when Kyle Kuzma went to dinner with Jeannie Buss and now all of a sudden they're <laughs> dating? Like it, it, the media eats that a lot. Mm-hmm. That would be such a fascinating relationship. But and also, then, go ahead. Oh no, I'm just saying. And then when Kyle didn't get traded, right? Oh oh, that's because he's fucking Jeannie Buss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like that's wild. Yep. But I mean, that what's hilarious about that story, the wedding, is like, to me, it's just strong dad or guy dating your mom vibes. Uh, you know what I mean? Like putting Tim Floyd in there. You know, know. Like, like, hey, you know, like, what's going on, guys? Like, I'll be the cool dad now type thing to these these players. And I'm sure but they're just think, like. But do you think Jerry Reinsdorf learned anything from this? I mean, he's done the same thing with the Sox and Kenny Williams. It took forever for them to do a rebuild. But uh, for any listener who doesn't know, Jerry Reinsdorf also owns the Chicago White Sox. So, um, but do you think he learned anything from this? Because you, he's loyal to his office guys to a fault. And he allowed Jerry Krause to run this ship into into the ground all the way up through, like, I think, was it Elton Brand that also was like a, a nightmare yeah. issue? And so what he, and my hope is that he looked back and be like, okay, yeah, you can win the battle if you sign the checks, but you're going to lose the war because 
unlike teams like the Lakers who have gone through dips and then come back and dips and come through back is you let this thing blow up and then it you gambled on fucking Tim Floyd and whatever you want to do until you got Derrick Rose and, Rose and his knee blew up and he wanted to, you know, walk his kid across the aisle rather than play someday, which you can respect. And now you've seen him come back to this role player that he is and he's great. But I'm saying like, did he learn anything from this where he was like, oh yeah, we could tell people fuck you on your seven year contract, but uh, we'll end up losing everything in the long run. Unfortunately, I, I, I just want to say that having watched you know some of these episodes it's it's unfortunate that he is alive and kraus isn't because he spends the duration of the documentary getting to defend himself mm-hmm. and when when it's inconvenient for him and his principles he just kind of throws kraus under the bus and there's no one there's no one who wants to go defend uh, Jerry Krause. I mean, there's not many people. Well, straight up, uh, Daniel and Carl, did either of you believe Reinsdorf when he said what he said about Scotty's contract in terms of, no, well, we told him, we, you know, we, we, we told him at the time, like, this is not a good idea, but you know what? Go ahead and sign. I mean, yes, absolutely. You no. believed him? Yeah. Yeah. Scott, Scott, cause Scotty would come out and deny it by this point. He, he, I'm sure he told them, I don't know if this is a good deal for you, but at the same time, I'm going to Pontius pilot this shit and I won't have anything to do with putting it back together. And I'm not going to go to bat for you in the end. But then you, I mean, when you think about where Scotty's coming from, that house is gone. That house is like that he was born in. It, it was, but they, it was described by one of his brothers as essentially a shack. And you have 14 people living in that house and two of them are in wheelchairs. And Scotty Pippen knows that he is one fuck around mistake or a stroke from spending his whole life in a wheelchair. And he's got all all these people he wants to take care of and he's looking at 18 million dollars and he could fall one time the wrong way and it's gone he doesn't he's not going to take that advice because he's like i want to now for anybody who's listening to this and worried overall salary earnings scotty pippen made more money than michael jordan uh, he ended up playing longer and getting his money on the back end but so he's fine <laughs> scotty's fine although uh people in chicago know his nickname was no tippin uh, Pippen because he never left to tip but I mean now we know where, where he was worried about and where all his money was going and how little of it he was getting but didn't Jordan not tip either though well I don't I don't know I don't I've never uh, heard I don't I've, I've yeah, never but, heard. but Jordan didn't Jordan didn't tip uh if the waiter wasn't great at their job so oh, okay. it was it was very it was very <laughs> at his own very, at his own restaurant until it got closed down so Carl you didn't believe Reinsdorf. Well, after what Dane Van Kirk just said, I I think I changed my my answer. I, oh, I, oh, look at that. Yeah, he he convinced it. He knows he knows what he's talking about. Uh, but I like I would I wouldn't assume that they would tell somebody that they were screwing them. That's why I didn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I think he knew that he was gonna have to. He was gonna take that deal anyway. So he got to feel like the good guy by being like, I don't know, that's really front loaded, you know, for you and your your, your value is gonna go up. But I like you look at. I listen to and have a couple of buddies that run a um, a radio show at, out of Chicago, ESPN 1000, and Mark Silverman and Tom Waddle. Tom's a former Chicago Bear wide receiver, and he's talked about times in the 90s, late 90s, where they would do like interviews with Reinsdorf for WGN Radio, and he would just be so difficult to talk to and get any answers out of. And now he's sitting here, much like you were saying, he's sitting here being able to defend him. Oh, yeah, we, we looked into trading everybody. But it's like, yeah, you're getting to say all this shit now when it makes you seem like transparent and a good owner and a good guy. But at the time, you you yeah. could have you could have solved all this just like you solved the fill for one year. You could have fixed everything. But you I'm didn't. so jealous. I'm so jealous 
of the Chicago Bulls that they got to be the most <laughs> successful team of the 90s with a terrible owner. And no. you know what we had here in the slums of South Central Los Angeles at the L.A. Sports Arena. I know. Like, <laughs> we had, it's just like if he had a just wanted to spend just a little more money. Like, at least they wanted to win. He didn't care about winning. Doug right. Sterling didn't care about winning at all. <laughs> like, at all. No, he, you're right. He, he, he had uh, interesting priorities. I think we can leave it at that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. my God. You know, the uh, the whole setup for the doc and, and really Jordan entering the league is that he's coming on the heels of the NBA finding itself and, and – becoming a business that is sustainable because of Magic sure. and Bird. Before they decided to make this movie, there were constant conversations between Jordan, um, the NBA, and, and a bunch of different documentarians before it landed on Jason Hare, who made it. And all of it, all the conversations required that Jordan actually talk about some shit that was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Talk about the gambling, talk about how he's an asshole of a teammate, talk about like his his dad passing that season where he goes plays baseball all, all those things that in a different documentary maybe they don't do or they gloss over it and sure. they do get into that i'm curious in these first two episodes when jordan comes in and he's like so one time we're talking, about Peoria, that we're talking about that circus there was a coke circus the chicago I, cocaine circus no he doesn't I, even know that it was ever called that 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 part was wonderful when he laughs that hard yeah, and he's like, I didn't. I walked into a room in Peoria, and I didn't. I didn't partake, but I saw something over there and something over there. The preseason, how honest, how, the preseason Peoria Coke party. Yeah, I mean the classic I mean, Peoria yeah. Coke party. And and Daniel, as a as a you know a, a, a former denizen of Illinois, have you ever participated or? Yeah, uh, yeah, many times. <laughs> I've been to a few bachelor parties in Peoria. You go to Big Al's, uh, okay. gentlemen's club, and then you just get you just buy two tickets to the Cocaine Circus. And, and it's is it wonderful. as is it as divided as as he made it sound? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Where the coke is here, it's, right. it's very much right like here. The, it's very much like the triangle offense. But instead, <laughs> you have uh, you have your triangle cocaine circus party. But they you it, you know, I was thinking of. I mean, come on, guys, let's think about. I love when we think about things in real life for a second. Like when some when a pitcher blows a save, right? And you think about the first conversation he has to have with his kid when he gets home and they don't care that he blew a save and they just want him to like play some game or whatever. Think of all the 85 bulls watching this documentary with their family. And Jordan just (laughs) said that they were all partaking in a cocaine circus with women, weed and Coke. And and I've just, and some of those people might've been watching with their kids or their kids were watching it. You don't think there were some really fun text messages or calls within 24 hours in that episode, Aaron? Yeah. He threw everybody under the bus too. And the whole team was doing it. I I didn't have any, I wasn't doing anything. Very good Jordan. I, I, I walked right out of there. Right. I didn't see. My mom was at my place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did I mean, anyone I'm check sure. Orlando Woolridge's uh, Twitter account to see if he was just like, what? This was this yeah. is just getting defensive. If you held That's me f- to it, I feel like still coming off of that Dean Smith work ethic and and wanting to prove that he should have been number one and just who Michael Jordan is, I'm sure he just walked straight to the women's section. And if you told me that's all he did, I would be willing to believe that. But you told me he turned around and walked out. I'd have a hard time believing that. I, because of his age at the time, I believe it. Yeah, see, that's true. I'm sure he was like, what the fuck? Because you got to remember, this was... Orlando Woolridge just passed away, by the way. But are you... uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, So his Twitter account was uh, deactivated, I guess. But I... I, (laughs) 
You think, think you think at, he could have been time, freaked out by it? I think he could have been freaked out. Yeah, I think that's because it's just like a little country kid, and he's like, I don't want to mess this whole thing up right. for my whole life. I don't want to mess this up. But by the time 92 came, oh, Jordan wasn't leaving that room. <laughs> right. He was hosting. And, yeah, and exactly. covering charge to get in, and there was gambling. They had a fourth quadrant to it. Exactly. But, like, one thing you just pointed out is him <laughs> him clearing all this. Um, the director, uh, was it David Harris? Is that his name? But Jason. Jason yeah. Harris. But he said that when he asked that question and Jordan laughed like that and then talked about it, he knew that Jordan had really bought in to be willing to talk about this and not being afraid of of uh, not opening up to it but my other thing in relation to that which you also mentioned was him being like oh i'm afraid i'm going to come off like an asshole now he seems from what i've heard he owns like almost all this footage so he he's going to be fine with how he is but also on the same thing i expect him to be an asshole tiger woods right. is an asshole kobe bryant is an asshole you don't get to that level. I mean, I don't know if they'll cover it in these future episodes, but it's well documented that, that Jordan would throw no-look passes to Horace Grant's face because Horace couldn't see them coming, and he wanted to prove a point that he wanted to be able to catch that pass. I mean, he got in a fist fight with Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is a human fluff pillow. He's an awesome dude. But if you can't get along with Steve Kerr, like, he punched him in the mouth. Scott Stiles yeah, I was, him. Like, I was, uh, he's an asshole. I he was saying... Be. I tweeted this too. I was like, I don't, I'm not condoning this behavior from myself. I'm not condoning this thought that I'm having. I think it is a lack of maturity and a mm -hmm. lack of, uh, a lack of security within myself. But if, if Michael Jordan, if I'm on the team, if I'm a professional athlete as well, because if we on the same team, sure. Oh, I love can, this tweet. I love you, this tweet. You can be goat Jordan all you want to be, but if I'm on the bulls too, and you talking to me like that, Oh, it's it's time to throw hands, bro. You're right. catching this fade. It's on site. It's head up. And he, but he would want that from you. And then even if he did fight you, he would feel like you probably were a, de a better teammate for having fought him than walking out of the gym. But I wouldn't be because I would never talk to him again. And on the court, it would be it would be bad. It would, I know. This is probably why I did not succeed in sports. I, I played college basketball, and I, well, I played is a strong word. Sure. But I was there. You were there. And uh, <laughs> like you, you, I, you know what, Carl, you were definitely a witness to it. I was a witness to it. I was on the bench. I got. I was holding people back when we was, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I cannot imagine being mentally strong enough to be like, "You're right, Jordan. Yeah, I should have made that pass. I should have did this. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. No, I would have beat that dude's ass or tried my damnedest to do and it. And some people did. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't doubt you. But let me ask this, Carl, because you and I are both professionals, right? And you are a person that I immensely respect in this craft that we do of sketch comedy and improv and and, and doing all these things. Don't you kind of like I have this a little bit where if you write a sketch for me and you're supposed to have a prop for it and I say I'll do it and you say no, you do it. And then we show up to the show and you don't have it. I'm going to be pissed at you and I'm going to mm -hmm. say, where the fuck's this prop? Now, I might not say it exactly that way, but that's how I'm going to make it clear. And mm -hmm. I have no problem with people in the UCB community or the comedy community. If somebody if somebody comes up to you and goes, Danny Van Kirk's a dick. And then you go, why? And they go, well, we're supposed to do this show. And he got all pissed off because we didn't have any of the props. I would be like, because I feel like you are sort of on the same level, that you'd be like, oh, it sounds to me like you don't like him because he wanted things to be done right. And yeah. so for me, it's like Jordan is a total asshole. And I'm not saying I wouldn't want to fight him either. Or I'd be like, you need to go fuck yourself and I would leave. But it makes sense to me because to him, it's like, what are we even doing this for if you're not going to do it at that level? Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that other people can't tell him like, oh, we're about to do it at a whole different level. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. But, yeah. <laughs> but, I, yeah. but I identify with some of that. And so it's like him worrying about being an asshole. I'm like, yeah, of course yeah, you're yeah. an asshole. 
Colby's an asshole. The best people are assholes. I'm sure Peyton Manning is an asshole on the field. Tom Brady, obviously. Like he used he to make that all the time. So complete. Tom Drew Brees is a great guy. <laughs> but like Peyton Manning, he used to make practice go an hour longer just to play with water-soaked balls. Water-soaked footballs for an extra hour. And everybody was like, fuck this dude. And then they got into the 2006 Super Bowl against the Chicago fucking Bears, and it poured the whole goddamn time. And nobody thought anybody would ever have to play a Super Bowl in the pouring rain. And we know who won that game. You're right, Daniel. I, I guess my approach is let's play with these water-soaked balls for an extra hour. If I'm the leader of the team, I go, you guys, we need to put in this work sure. to play. Anybody who wants to stay, y'all need to stay. We getting better out here. Sure. But if I'm going, hey... You pussy dicks. Fuck right. you and your right. mama. Right. If you're not staying right, right. now, right, right. I, I, like no, all I feel these, that. like yeah, yeah, yeah. that type of shit is unnecessary. Right. And I've had, I've had, a, I've had a coach who, I, I, I tell you guys a quick story. The worst, the most embarrassed I've ever felt. This is summer 2006. I'm headed into my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be my year where I am a. a a part of the varsity team, you know, like a crew, a, a important part of the varsity team. And we got this coach who is a, is, is an assistant coach. He, all he does is yell and scream. He's short. He's about five, six played D one basketball in college. But at this point, his life is yeah. nothing basically, mm-hmm. but he just walks around yelling. Don't get bitter. Don't, don't get bitter. Get better. They're like yelling, screaming, hitting people, yelling all in our face. And we're children. Like, right. think of like, at, I'm 17 years old at this point, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm six three, but I'm I'm 17 years old. Like I'm like, and this little guy's yelling at me, and I and I'm and he's my my dad's age, and there's this one drill where he tells us, and and one of the problems with a lot of sports sometimes that people are supposed to be teachers, but they're not. They think yelling yep. is teaching. Yep. You should just be able to get something. And my whole life, because I've always been a taller kid, I never really played guard, and so. There's this dribbling drill that he has us all doing. He has us running back and forth. Like, it's just like it's summer practice. It's like everything is conditioning, everything. Run over here to get the water. Run over here to come back. Run over. Here. And so he starts this drill off. And he demonstrates it one time and go, let's go. And I'm standing there and I mess up the drill. And it's like, just like this weird, like, like uh, dribbling drill. And I mess it up. He goes, stop, stop. Now keep in mind who's in this room. Everybody, every, mm-hmm. all the people who play on my team are in this room. The JV players who are in here, the freshman sophomore players are in here. Mm-hmm. The eighth, the incoming eighth graders, because this is summertime. Mm-hmm. So the guys who are about to be on freshmen and stuff like that are in here. So this, the room is full of players. Like it's, it, this is like a fifty-man practice, and he just berates me for like five minutes, being like, "Some of y'all need to think about y'all priorities and what y'all want to do. Maybe basketball ain't for you." Cause this is this is some bullshit. This is better. Like, and he just goes off on me, yeah. not teaching me how to do the drill. Right. Just reaming me for not knowing how to do the drill. And then at the end, he comes up in my face, and this dude's like his head, the top of his head's probably right here, <laughs> sure, yeah. uh, like at my chin. And he goes, "Now you gonna get bitter, or you gonna get better?" And what can I say at that point? I wanted to knock that dude's teeth you. out of his mouth individually because I was so embarrassed. Because now all of my peers, and you know, these are kids. Yeah. So you know they're gonna roast me for this. Yeah. And now I just look like a fool. And the rest of the day, of course, I'm I'm done. A, yeah. a shot being made, don't even think about it. Because my confidence is blown. Beyond right. that, how did it how did it affect you? I mean, beyond that day, of course, yeah, you're you're a mess, but did it motivate you or was it just well, I, I'm 31 years old now, still talking about it. So, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but as a Carl, negative, as Carl. not as a learning moment. I mean, I would say right. that that guy, he he 
he coached to his style rather than the style of his players. And that's like yeah. the biggest fucking mistake. Because if you look at, even at the documentary, Phil still goes to bat for Scotty for holding off and taking care of himself. And that yeah. is how you see, that's a window into why Phil was so good with multiple yes. teams. Because he was like, well, with this player, I'm not going to get anything from Scotty if I come at him and yell at him and berate him. And so I have to understand from his point of view, he's doing the best thing he can. And when he comes back, I'm going to get 110% because I didn't knock him down when he felt like he needed to be hurt. And then maybe yeah. he'll go at somebody else like Luke Longley and be like, Luke, what the fuck are you doing? And so the ability, I mean, that's, that's a coach who's like, this is the way I coach. I mean, remember Bill Parcells, the greatest quote. Somebody asked him, do you coach every player the same? And he was like, hell no. Are you crazy? They're yeah, not all the same right. player. Yeah, right. yeah, you're in the right call. Yeah, that's garbage. <laughs> Although, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, Daniel. Do you think in that time that Michael, because now he's, even now, he's still is sitting there on the couch with a, you know, bourbon next to him saying like, yeah, no, he was a mistake what Scotty did. Mm -hmm. But at the time, do you think he would, he would straight up, he was saying the same thing to him? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You look and, at the he probably was yelling. He probably was calling him such a pussy and every like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, did you see how he looked at them after the after the game in Paris when they yeah. were they won and he just looks over like. I mean, I tweeted out my favorite fuck you moment. I I, I uh, encourage anyone to go back and look. At, I'm going to try and find one in every episode. My favorite Michael Jordan fuck you moment. I mean, it was right up there with him parking in the in the practice facility parking lot and leaving his Corvette wherever the fuck he wanted. That was up there. But mm -hmm. that look that he gave, no offense, sorry, Carl, but that look he gave in that Clippers game in, in 98, 97, <laughs> where, where he just looks at that. I don't know who it is, but he looks him off from down in the corner and then takes that shot. And I was like, man, fuck you. So I'm sure he was. Brent Barry. That was before I was a fan. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs> enough. In a lot of ways, this whole documentary is about one person's endless ambition to be great and it's just interesting seeing bird and magic and isaiah and, and thinking about lebron carl i'm curious since you are such a lebron sexual i never even heard that term till today um i wonder if it if if he is your favorite because the way he goes about being great is a lot more generous and kind than the way Jordan goes about being great. 150%. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because I also grew up in L.A. during the Kobe years. And I remember all the stories of him ruining people's careers, like Smush Parker, who was a pretty solid player when he yeah. was in the league. And how, I don't think, well, I mean, you know, circumstances, but I, I don't think that Smush was cool with, with Kobe until the end, like by the end, you know? Like, I don't, I think he, he, he probably, you know, has let bygones be bygones at this point, but I don't think Smush liked Kobe. And I think, and a lot of players who play with him who say he, this this manic way that he approached the game, trying to be like Jordan, it, it's, it can be detrimental. Either you're trying to win, and in order to win, you need every player to be pumping at their highest level. Mm -hmm. And every, like like you said, like Bill Parcells said, like not every player is is driven by the same thing. Now yeah. I don't need I don't need to be coddled. I don't need people to tell me I'm doing that was a great job, Carl. I don't need that. But I I don't also do not want to be yelled at or berated. I told my trainer, I have a, a personal trainer, and he's a Marine. And I told him, I said, hey man, we can work out all day. And you get 110% out of me. Uh just tell me how to do what you need me to do. Mm -hmm. You can give me encouragement. You can even raise your voice. But as soon as you start t telling me how uh, the girl in the corner did 20 more reps than me and how this and how that, yeah. we're done here. 
yeah. and how like and 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 I, I'm not worried about the girl in the corner doing 20 more reps. She's probably stronger than me. Right. But like, don't don't start using that as a as a diss on yeah. me. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't that start, doesn't motivate you. That doesn't motivate me. I'm not motivated by negative reinforcement. Right. I don't I don't need you to coddle me, but I'm not motivated by you telling me that I ain't shit. Change my mind. Mm-hmm. That type well, of it's stuff. just it's just fascinating. You know the parcel thing of accommodating each person. It's no different than you know I've I've spent time on set directing, and you can't get the actor to do, you can't get every actor to do the thing you want them to do in the same way. Right. You have to know who they are, what they want, what makes them motivated, what makes them interested. And the same shit is true in sports. I mean, especially I played in high school. I didn't play like Carl, and I actually wanted to point out some stat I found online. Carl, that year after the summer embarrassment mm-hmm. where you played on varsity, it says here you scored 14 points a game. You were uh Nationally ranked at 4,113, California ranked 370. Oh, shit. You were, you were like really playing. Dude, change your bio, Carl, on <laughs> all your social media. That needs you. I'm, I'm top, top 500 in Cali, baby. That's unbelievable. Top 350 uh, in Cali. Yeah. I mean, so you, you, you see, you could motivate yourself too, which is probably another reason you need somebody coming at you with like negative shit when they're like, tell me how to be better. Don't tell me how bad you think I fucking am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tell me how to be better. Tell me how to, because I, I started scoring a lot. Was I was a really good three point shooter, but he, but they wanted me to play center at the mm. time, and so and and we played in the league with uh, Fairfax High School and Westchester High School, <laughs> and uh, both of those high schools are usually nationally ranked. Yeah, like I don't know what they are now. I've been out of school for a long time, but usually nationally ranked uh, teams, and like my senior year. Fairfax had Solomon Hill, who play, who's still playing right now. A bunch of other guys who went D1, played overseas and stuff like that. Westchester had a couple guys who played in the league. Trevor Ariza was there before I, uh, my freshman year. Amir Johnson, tallest person I've ever seen in my life. So, like, <laughs> we're playing against guys like that. You tell me I'm a guard, Amir Johnson, who's a seven-footer? Like, yeah. like, there's nothing I can do with him. No. If we had to play small ball, we could have been the Warriors. Yeah. I, was, I was like a grandma. <laughs> But. Something that you guys just brought up too about LeBron, I I say this, LeBron James is in my opinion the greatest professional athlete of all time, because what you cannot even compare Jordan to him in is what other person from high school, starting in high school and then going straight into the NBA, has lived up to every single thing that has been asked of them from the age of fucking 16 years old and then professionally from the age of 18 years old never failed never faltered never been a part of some scandal never done anything wrong to like hurt or victimize people he he oh yes the 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 decision was a joke but that decision also raised upwards of 22 million dollars for the boys and girls club so like what other professional athlete from the jump because you even look at this documentary episode one jordan learned what it really meant to work hard from dean smith when he going to college and going to north carolina and being there for three years and he would have stayed a fourth year he loved it there so much dean told him to go we know that from that episode so when you when you just talk in terms of just greatest professional athlete of all time, and you don't say LeBron James, I, I you must know some kid that started like doing underwater welding as an athletic sport when they were seven <laughs> he, years old. He he has ran the best sports political campaign of any person, and then ever. backed it up with rings. 
exceeded. totally backed it up. But I, I think he's exceeded. Yeah, I mean, exceeded he had expectations it. and he met them and he's gone above and beyond. I mean, do you guys, you might be too young, but they thought Grant Hill was going to be the next Michael Jordan at one point. Mm -hmm. Like I love, I had, yeah. I had two Grant Hill jerseys growing up. I love Grant Hill. <laughs> oh, I, I, love Grant Grant I had ones? a teal joint. I had a teal uh, joint. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, and I love Grant Hill. <laughs> I love Grant Hill. But my point is, is like no one has ever met the mark set for them on any level right. for this long at that young of an age and never falter from it than LeBron. And now some people do actually give him negativity by saying they wish he was more fuck this guy, fuck that guy. But that's not his style. That's not how he runs his teams. That's not what he... And so he will be maybe a little passive-aggressive on Twitter or he will say something in an interview and you kind of have to read between the lines and that annoys some people. But... There's people who, like Carl just said, who'd be like, yeah, but I got turned off by the way that Kobe and Michael conducted. Them. Like, fuck off. If right. You, like, that is, you choose the way you feel about how somebody handles their business. But if they yeah. still, at the end of the day, handle their business, then don't worry about how the sausage gets made. Just eat it off the grill. Or don't even come to the cookout. Do you guys ever think that a lot of the LeBron criticism is based on pretty much the absence of conflict? Like I, I, I keep going back to, I mean, again, I from Chicago, I love Jordan. I'll always choose him, but something about Jordan's story. There's just so many times where he's an asshole. He's a gambling addict. Right, or we don't he know if he's the reason his the dad game. got killed. Or we don't know why he really went and played baseball. Right. Like, there's all this stuff where you're like, man, I love him, but I don't know if I can trust him. Whereas now people are like, you can trust LeBron too much. So you're like, I don't know if I love him because I, I don't know if I should trust him. Yeah. It, fe it feels like you have to be a less interesting person as a professional athlete in 2020 <laughs> than you could be in the 90s. It's a, uh, like a... Your dad beat you and your mom, and your mom left him and got married to a super nice guy, and you hate this guy. <laughs> right. you, you hate Dude, Rick. <laughs> you hate Rick. Right. Because right. Rick is too nice. Why are you always giving me stuff, Rick? Right. I don't need Why a fucking ride to school, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know how to walk. I know how to walk, Rick. I got two legs, Rick. Oh, I bet you did. I bet you did <laughs> yeah. get me Christmas presents, Rick. I bet you fucking did. Yeah. You a fucking um, pussy, Rick. That's why my mom's cheating on you, Rick. <laughs> no, I don't know if that's true, and she's probably not because of how caring you are, but of course you are, Rick. <laughs> Before we go, the two of you, I I'm curious. Um, what are both of your... Uh, first memories of basketball the first time where you or even just the first time where you both thought oh shit i love this uh for me it was probably it was probably uh seeing my family react uh so highly to michael jordan playing against the knicks one sunday on nba on nbc mm -hmm. like the i think it was the john tesh theme song that got me mm -hmm. like oh, hell oh yeah. i want to watch this because i was really big fan of things so my mom tells me a story that when i was a kid when i was like a really young baby and she'd be like putting me to sleep and then you'd hear like the piano riff of are you ready for some football by hank williams jr and i would just like pop up and immediately start dancing yeah. on the bed she tells that story all the time so i think i've always been very fascinated with sports theme songs and so i think john tesh is nba on nbc and just being like the knicks versus the bulls and it's like okay yeah i want to watch this dun, dun, like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. round ball rock yeah which yeah. by the way weirdly weird flex by uh fox fs1 they've now co-opted that and are using it for their college basketball Ooh, coverage really? yeah which is it's strange <laughs> i also you <laughs> must absolutely go on youtube there's a wonderful clip of John Tesh at a live show, just being oh, like, yeah. <laughs> leaving the message when he wrote that 
and like leaving a voicemail to himself and he's mm -hmm. like and he'll start out and he's like dribbling a basketball in front of the audience and then he just runs to the piano and it's like da -na -na -na. it's yes it's, oh, it's the message priceless. was so funny he was like okay uh here's a little here's a little uh thing i, I can't get out of my head i don't know where it's going it's kind of like <laughs> and it's, and then that's what that became it's like well, it's kind of tight man <laughs> uh my first time my, for me you know we had a little basketball hoop in the, in the, we grew up with my grandma and we lived together with her and, and she had this basketball hoop in the back. I think they must've probably got it from me when I was like six or seven. And just, uh, just remember like playing, we had like these floodlights so we could play all night and we would just play horse and like basketball all night long. And then, like I said, I was so young, but playing basketball during halftime of the finals games was like, those are some of my first like big, like, I love this. And you know what else is weird too? And this movie doesn't get talked about very much. I want to go back and see if it holds up. Uh, the pistol, the pistol Pete Maravich story that came out in the early nineties, that, that movie had a really big effect on me. One of just like loving basketball, but also sports. And to this day, I've never forgotten the line where they lose a game in that movie. And, uh, Pete Maravich as a child tells his friend, um, they're like, it's only one game. And he goes, yeah, but people only remember when you lose. They never remember when you win. And I, I to tell you that that isn't tattooed on my inside somewhere, it would be a lie. Like, I still carry that around. So even that movie itself, I just remember like seeing the work and everything that went into playing that game or dedicating yourself to anything had a big effect on me too. Carl, did you like Pistol Pete? Yeah, he, he died on my birthday uh, the, the year before I was born. He really? died January 5th, 1988 in Pasadena. Really? Playing basketball. Yeah. yeah. Rest uh, in and peace. for those who can't see me, I pointed to Pasadena. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know. yeah, well played. I have yeah. to say something. I have to clear up some stuff. Do it. Okay. I know people are going to be mad that I don't respect basketball from the 80s. Uh, <laughs> and I just want to say, yeah, so what? No, uh, I, I, I think some of the arguments that we get, like the, the game was different. And I, sure. I'll, give, I'll give some, one of my friends says, said a very interesting thing recently when they were talking about the greatest of all time. First of all, it's an inanswerable question. I agree. But uh, it's fun to talk about it. But Michael Jordan, they said Michael Jordan, for what he did for the game, when this guy came in, yes, you had Magic and you had Bird. You had the Celtics and you had the Lakers. But honestly, like, let's look at the talent around. Let's look at what the league was. Think about the league from the 70s and how it was literally a dying league. Like, mm -hmm. like games were averaging like 4,000 people. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and that was a good night. Like, for, for certain teams, the teams that weren't like championship teams, which was like three. Right. And then you uh, go into the 80s and, my, and Magic Johnson and the Lakers and Larry Bird and the Celtics like create these super teams. They start realizing that you can put money behind these teams and you can this can be a huge business. And Michael Jordan comes in and he plays this modernized game and he is the hardest worker of all time. And he like is just doing stuff that these people have never seen. Larry Bird literally called him a god. And it's yeah. like, okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but like, it's like the the fact that you never seen the fact that Larry Bird, who's from the, the greatest, had never seen somebody do the things that Michael Jordan was doing. He won these six championships, never went to a game six, blah blah blah, took the game global, made the game what it is today. What he did for the game makes him the greatest of all time. Just because we've seen Stints of evolution, but he brought the biggest evolution to basketball. Yeah. Because what we see now, which is a game that I love, and I think it gets better 
and better every few years with the players that are coming out from international status and all this type of stuff. He we saw the he is the cause of that. Michael Jordan is the reason for that. LeBron James is the best of all time. It, it's something that we've never seen before. And yeah. his evolution of the game is still being being put in as well. Allen Iverson also evolved the game. Here's the analogy I came up with to kind of give you why, what I feel about basketball. One day I was talking to this guy, a guy who thinks that Larry Bird is better than LeBron, by the way. So it sh- it, the conversation <laughs> okay. went on way too long. Yeah. But shouldn't have gone on at all. It, it shouldn't have gone on at all. It, as soon as he said that, I should have walked away. <laughs> but I'm a masochist. And so uh, I, I was like, hey, man, what's your favorite car of all time? And he says, oh, man, that 1993 Jeep Cherokee. Man, I had a brand new one. AM, FM, stereo, CD player, tape, cassette, power, leather seats, power windows. I was like, yeah, man, that was a dope car. I remember that being in a lot of music sure. videos and everything. Like That car was dope. Have you sat in a 2020 Jeep Cherokee <laughs> any time recently? You can love that 93 Jeep right. Cherokee, but there's no doubt that the 2020 Jeep Cherokee is much better than the 1993 Jeep Cherokee. And that's because evolution and the world has changed and it's different. And they noticed mistakes that they made with the 93 that they could continue Mm -hmm. to build upon. Time just makes things better. And I think Michael Jordan is is the, the proponent for ushering in that new time. So I have to give him respect, but LeBron James is my personal. I feel you. He's my boat. He's the best of all time. That was that was fantastic. I know we have to go. So last thing, if the twenty twenty playoffs happen, who uh, do you guys have this year to win? I just talked a lot, Dan. You go ahead. I'll give no, no, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Because to be honest, I I, I didn't I, I never settled on anybody yet for this year. I was scared the whole year, and Kawhi Kawhi was sitting out a lot. Paul George kept getting injured in little tiny ways. Uh, Lakers were destroyed building. my fantasy basketball team. Paul yeah. George, that that bad. <laughs> Lakers were building up a team over there to specifically beat the Clippers, and then that last game right before we went on lockdown, uh, played that last Clippers Lakers game, and I watched how yeah. the Clippers approached it. I watched how Reggie Jackson fit in with our system. I watched how Marcus Morris did not score a point. Uh, <laughs> I watched how Lou Williams only had six points, one of the best scorers in the league. I, I Seeing these two things happen, plus seeing Avery Bradley go off for 27 points and LeBron having like 25, and I think AD had somewhere around there, and that was it from their side. Mm-hmm. We lost that game, but it was at that moment, and it wasn't the two wins that we had because I didn't really count those in. I was happy that we won them just for talking rights, but it was two things that happened. We won those two games. I got no less than eight text messages from Laker fans talking shit because that's what happens every time with the clip. Right, like right, when they, right. they, they, they send me, I got, well, we won both of those games. After that last game, radio silence. No. And I say, everybody's yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. the same thing. There's no way that this Laker team is going to beat us in seven game series. Seven games. That's yeah. Cause I, I was feeling the Clippers too, but. I don't know. I, it was at that moment, in the first time in my history of being a fan, 21 years I've been a fan of this team. It was at that moment I said, this year we're going to win a championship. And then LeBron James comes back from Wuhan, and uh, <laughs> he gives it to Rudy Gobert, and everything goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Daniel Van Kirk, Carl Tart, 
Thank you both very much. Uh, we appreciate you both. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is great. This is very, very Thanks a lot, fun. fellas. Wash your hands. Stay safe. So long. You too. Bye -bye. Later, guys. Carl, talk to you soon. Keep tweeting. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Take care. And there it is. Thank you so much for listening to the last dance after show. How do you think we did, David? I think it was exceptional. Uh, five stars. Five and a half stars, even. That's five and a half out of five stars? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Extra half star. If people want more Carl and Daniel, which they definitely do, uh, where can they find them? They can find Carl as the host of the Flagrant Ones podcast, which is, again, a basketball and comedy podcast on Patreon, uh, hosted by Carl, Sean Clements, and Hayes Davenport of The Hollywood Handbook. And if you're looking for some Daniel Van Kirk content, uh, he is the host of uh, three different podcasts, The Good Night Show, and Pen Pals, as well as Dumb People Town. So go check them out. And they are both on Twitter and I believe Instagram as well. Great titles for podcasts, by mm -hmm. the way. Throughout the duration of this podcast, uh, we're going to try to raise money for the good people over at Feeding America. I mentioned it in the intro. Uh, if you can, in these trying times, make a contribution, we'd really appreciate it. You can learn more about them at feedingamerica.org. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Fragoso. I think Instagram is the same handle. David definitely has a Twitter account. I don't remember the username, though. How dare you? Uh, it is at David W. Villar, as well as on Instagram at David W. Villar as well. Very exciting. We will be back uh, next Monday and Thursday. We've got a whole bunch of good people coming up, including Adam McKay, Steve James, Jason Hare, Brian Moses, Heidi Gardner, and many, many more. Stay safe, people. Stay home. And remember to wash your hands thoroughly. And we will see you next week. Pretty good tagline. Not too shabby. So long. Bye.